Let me ask you something before we get started. How many of y'all were cold this morning? Just a little bit. You know, it was 40-some when we were heading to church. But how many of y'all enjoy that? Just a few. Yeah, there's a few here. Well, it's a shame you couldn't see the video that, that Melissa was singing from because it was full of pictures of sunny beaches and palm trees and probably would have warmed you up a little bit if you're cold, but I guess I should have told you to turn around, but you know, uh, I guess we could have Melissa come back over here and sing it again. Just take my word for it. It was really nice and sunny. I started to sweat up there almost. But anyway, I want you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and uh we're going to also be in Matthew 24, so if you want to kind of uh, put your marker there, we're going to talk about something that I think is near and dear to everybody's heart and gets uh, God's children all excited, <clears throat> and that is, probably this is going to finish up our, our little series that we've been doing on the promises of God. There are so many, many, many promises We've picked about five, but we're going to finish up today with a promise that, I, again, I think it just excites all of us, and that is he has promised that he is coming back. He has promised his return. And sometimes when we get to the end of a day, we think, well, I can't believe I made it through this day, and I've got to go through another day tomorrow. Every day that we go through is one day closer to the day that Jesus is coming back. Now, does that give you a little bit of peace, a little bit of relief, a little bit of excitement there, you think? I believe it does. And I'm going to read from John chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse number three. And these are very encouraging words, and we use these scriptures a lot uh, in memorial services and funeral services. But listen to these verses. Verse number three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So this coming back, this second coming of Jesus Christ is a promise that he has made. And it has been mentioned many times in scripture. It's been said that for every one prophecy about Jesus's birth or coming, there are eight prophecies that talk about his second coming. So how many of you based on that little ratio there would say that the second coming of Christ is a very big deal. That's a big deal, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that what keeps you going some days? Isn't that what makes the job bearable and it makes the struggles that you go through kind of worthwhile because you know that these things aren't going to last forever? Because one day he's going to come and take us out of this mess and then we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth eventually that has never been marred or touched by sin and we won't have to deal with any of that we're dealing with right now. Can I get five amens? 
I think I got about eight. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it's something to get excited about, and, and, and we do get excited. But it's also something that's really debated a lot, you know, the end times, Jesus coming back. When is he coming back? Is he coming back before the uh, tribulation? Is he coming back after the tribulation? Uh, so many questions and so many things are debated. And then there are some, actually quite a few, that just mock the whole process because they don't believe in Jesus and they don't have a savior. And so their life is what they live in the moment and they have nothing to look forward to. And on this side of salvation, I have to say that has got to be a miserable existence because what I know now, which is what everybody could know, and it's not just for an elite few, God so loved the world, the whole world that he gave his son. But what I know now, if I had to go back and live the, without the hope that I have now, it would be really, really, it would be a major downgrade. You understand what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to live that life not knowing Jesus, not knowing that he's going to come back. And the way he says it, just I've gone to get a place ready so that, and I'm going to come back and get you so that where I am, you can be there too. You know what that communicates to me? I want you here with me. And it's, I'm getting it ready, and I want you here with me. And how many of us in our, in our times of, of loneliness and despair have just longed for one person to just reach out and say, I'm with you, and we're going to get through this together. Everybody needs that. Every person needs that. And Jesus provides that for everyone if we just accept it. Amen. And the more you know, the more you get to know about Jesus and his promises and what he has said and what he has done in the life of the person who is saved, it's almost you, can't, you just can't contain it and you can't find words. And a song like, I love you, Lord, is good, but even it falls short of saying what you feel and what you think. But some people just don't know it and they just can't get over the fact that we're waiting one day for somebody who died a couple thousand years ago to come back and take us where he went. And it just makes no sense to them. Second Peter chapter three, verses three and four tell us that people will say in the, in the end days, they will scoff at it and they will say, where is this coming that you promised? Where is it? We'd like to know where it is. Well, it's going to happen. And we know it's going to happen because he made the promise that it would happen. And as we've already talked about the past four weeks or so, he makes a promise. He keeps that promise. You know, but still some people, even those who believe that Jesus is coming back, get so caught up in the, the signs of his coming back that they really don't think much about his And we can put anything, even things that are good, in God's place in our lives. We can be so consumed with the signs of the times that we forget what the signs of the times are pointing to, and that is that Jesus is coming back. And then can you believe that there are believers out there? There are people who claim to be believers out there. Let me put it that way who do not believe that Jesus is coming back. 
You know, you can find anything and everything in the world today. You know that. We've got things that are accepted or trying to, trying to be forced upon us in this day and time that just a few years ago, we, we, would, we would be horrified that, that it, it would even be a consideration in our society. And it looks like things just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. But like we said, you know, it's like everything's kind of trickling down like the sands of an hourglass. And it's coming to a point where he is going to say, it's enough, let's do this thing. And he is coming back. So what, where do you stand on his coming back? Do you think that he'll come back in your lifetime? Do you think that his return is very close? The kids sang Wednesday night. They did such a great job. Our I think the verse that, that I'm thinking about now goes, um, he wasn't just joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, so you better be believing. His return is very close, so you better be believing. Before we take five more breaths, he could come back. And what, what does that cause you? How does, how does that make you feel? What, what does that do to you? I, I, you know, I've shared this with you before. When I was younger, I used to think, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you to come back, but could you wait until such and such happens? Or, uh, you know, we're supposed to go on vacation in this, this summer and I really want to go. And, and could you wait till after that? Can you imagine the thoughts that we have sometimes? Lord, hang on just a little bit. As I've gotten older and I've gotten more spiritually mature, I'm more concerned about the lost and those who don't know Jesus and what, what's going to be their future. And so listen to what some of these polls, these polls that people do all the time. Uh, I just wonder how, how relevant and how accurate they really are because don't remember how I asked you the other day, sometimes when you're answering a questionnaire, do you answer honestly or do you answer the way that you think people want you to answer? And so I wonder how accurate these polls really are, but listen to this. The U.S. News and World Report said at one time, 61% of Americans believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. There was a Newsweek poll that reported that 45% believe that Christ will return in their lifetime. And then the Pew Research Report says that 55% of U.S. Christians believe in the return of Jesus. Okay, now that's concerning. 55% of Christians believe in the return of Jesus. Do you, do you hear what's wrong with that statement? That means like if there's 100 people in here right now, let's just say that there's 55 people in these two sections right here. That means that these 45 over here don't believe that Jesus is coming back. Is that amazing to you? Because it's in Scripture. It's in Scripture. And as we've already said, are eight prophecies to each one prophecy. Eight prophecies of His coming back as to one prophecy of His coming the first time. But as important as these polls may seem, and they're pretty close, you know, 61%, 45%, 55%, whatever. What really matters are the promises of God. 
that we find in Scripture. We get all tore up about these poles. But listen, we've learned in the past several weeks of the promise of eternal life. We've learned of the promise of answered prayers, peace, God's presence. And the difference between all the promises that we have talked about so far and this one is that they've all been kept, but this one has yet to be fulfilled. And so that's why we look and that's why we wait in anticipation. And the Bible is clear that that you and I can count on, just like we read in verse three there. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that we can be together. And here in scripture where this was written, these words were meant to be a comfort to the disciples because they, Jesus had been with them and he was getting ready to leave and it was, it was a sad time for them. But when things are difficult, we like words that are going to comfort us, don't we? And I don't know how many times I've been comforted by the, the, the truth of the reality of the promise of God that Jesus is coming back. When the weight of the world is heavy, Jesus is coming back. When problem after problem after problem seems to fall into our laps, Jesus is coming back. When we are laying in bed and we've hit the snooze button four times and we ask ourselves, how can I get out of bed today? What's the point? What's the use? There comes that promise, Jesus is coming back. And those words are comforting to us. And they were for the disciples too. After, after Jesus resurrected, after he rose again, he appeared to people for a period of 40 days. And then after giving some final instructions, he transported to heaven before the very eyes of his disciples. And we read in Acts 1-9, it says that a cloud hid him from their sight. And so, you know, can't you just imagine them standing there watching? And then we, later on, a couple of verses later, a couple of angels appeared and they said, man, I've got I'm looking to the sky. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. There it is. He went, but he is coming back. Messengers of God, the angels said, as he has gone, he will come again. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to persevere so that we will receive promise. And then in verse 37, it says, for in just a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. And we the New Testament ends, how the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22, where we hear Jesus tell us that he's coming soon. Even so, come. He is coming soon. And Christ followers, true, true Christ followers, have always believed that Jesus is coming back. We subscribe to this, and I, and I believe this is the accurate uh, way for us to think and the way for us to believe. 
And there may be some variation in your thinking and understanding of things, but let me, let me say this to you. The literal, we believe in the literal, personal, pre-tribulation return of Jesus Christ. Literal means that he is actually coming back. Personal means that it is Jesus that is coming back. Imminent means that it could happen when? At any time. And of course, pre-tribulation means Jesus will come us out of the world before the tribulation. So even knowing that, even hearing that, even realizing that it could be at any moment, we still have that question, well, when is that going to be? When is that going to be? You know, the doctor tells us this could happen or that could happen. And we want to know when. The IRS says you can you can expect your uh, you can expect your your uh, and you're like when and the kids you tell the kids we're gonna we're gonna leave in just a few minutes when and we're driving down the road and we're all going somewhere and the kids want to know well, when are we gonna get there we want to know when and and so many people through the years have tried to figure that out but let's go to Matthew twenty four because this chapter contains more about the end times from the very lips of Jesus than any other scripture. And in verse number one, the disciples are, are showing off the beauty of the buildings that made up the temple. And Jesus says to them in verse number two, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that, that shall not be thrown down. And then Jesus walks about a half a mile from where he's at, and he sits down on the Mount of Olives, and he's overlooking the Temple Mount, and he makes reference to something that we can read all the way back in the Old Testament in Zechariah, where it says, his, and his feet shall that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there will be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove to the north and half of it toward the south. And so he's talking about the destruction of the temple. And the disciples come up to him and they ask him privately in verse number three, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. What is going to be the sign that we can look for? And then we go through verses four through 14 and we see the first part of his answer. And he gives us some noteworthy signs to look for to anticipate his coming again. Now you've heard it said, you may not have done a whole, we did a whole uh, series of messages on David Jeremiah's book uh, about the end, the signs of the times. And we've, had, we've heard many numerous pastors and, and Bible scholars talk about the end and what has happened and what still needs to happen. And we think about things that are happening currently and we think about Israel and everything that they're going through right now. We need to pray for them, by the way. So many things that are going on and have happened. And so what is it that is left to happen? Well, these are the things that he said to look for. And I think we're going to see that a lot of these things, if not all of these things, have already happened. He said there's going to be a deception. We see this in verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered after they asked, what are the signs going to be? 
Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And there have been many false messiahs. There have been many that have said they were the Messiah. You've got Jim Jones, you've got David Koresh, many others. And as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, we can expect to see a growing number of people who claim to have the power, who claim to have the knowledge, who might even claim to be Christ as well. So we, there will be an increased amount of false teaching that we can expect. And there is a lot of false teaching out there in the world today. And then they talk about, or Jesus talks about in verses 6 through 13, disasters, terrible days, terrible things that are going to take place. See if we've seen anything like this. Hurricanes, famines, floods, earthquakes. These are almost daily occurrences, weekly occurrences, monthly occurrences, and certainly yearly we can see these things happening. And Jesus clearly taught that these types of things are only the beginning of the difficulties and the tragedies that will take place. And he also said that there will be an acceleration of evil. How many of you would say that in our society today, it seems like evil is running rampant and that it seems to be at an accelerated pace? Weren't there days not long ago where things just seemed to be kind of calm and peaceful? Do you remember days like that? Really not anything to... I mean, you could turn the news on and the worst possible news of tech or the stock market or something like that. But you just don't know now what you're going to hear or see when you turn the news on because it seems like evil is everywhere and it's running rampant. And you don't even have to turn the news on. You can just walk out into the street. You can go to school. You can go to work. You can see it and it's everywhere and it's all around. And he said that that would happen and that the greatest evil is yet to come. In verse number 10 of chapter 24, he said, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And it seems to be, as he says in verse number 12, because love seems to be in short supply. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And this is no surprise to us. We see this in 2 Timothy 3.1 as well. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The love of most will grow cold. We are to love our enemies. Are we living in a day where it is easier to, to point our enemies out? And are we living in a day where it's easier to not love our enemies? because of the things they're saying, because of the things that they're standing for, for the things that, that they believe in that's so opposite and contrary to what we believe in as Christians. But do you know that we're caught? That's a soul. That's a soul. That person is a soul. And God loves that person. And that person needs to know truth. And that person needs to hear truth. And that person needs to accept truth to see that they've been living lies and deception up to that point. I don't claim to know 
everything and I never will know everything. But I'm, I can tell you that what I do know is what God says. And what I know to be true is what God has said. So I don't care what kind of spin you put on it in today's, today's world. I don't care how you pull a verse out of Scripture and twist it to support thing that we are trying to get everybody to accept. I believe what God said, and I believe how God said it. And it seems like that it's becoming harder and harder to hear the truth, to, to see the truth. And is it harder and harder to love those that we're called to love? Is it harder and harder for us to share the news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in for fear of what will happen and what people will say to us? There will be terrible times in the last days. All that being said, we're also encouraged because it seems like another sign of the end times is ex expanding evangelism. Now, how many, how many of you have heard in the news recently about countries where the gospel of Jesus Christ is making a tremendous difference and the church of God is growing? Has anybody heard anything about that? I just, maybe a, a show a hand. Have you heard that at all? Have you seen that anywhere? Has that been reported in any of the news out that you listen to? That's crazy, isn't it? This is what Jesus said in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So it seems like there's an idea given here that the gospel is being preached and it is going to make a difference. And we know the gospel makes a difference because it made a difference when we heard it. It made a difference in our lives when we heard it preached and when we heard it taught. And so we know that it, it accomplishes what it sets out to do. It's sharper than any two-edged sword so it can cut through any confusion or evil or wickedness. That's the power of the Word of God. And it sounds like, too, that everyone is going to have an opportunity. I don't know how this is going to be worked out. Because there are still supposedly thousands of people groups that haven't been reached with the gospel. And I don't even know how they come up with that number. I don't know that. But, but I, I came across that in my studying He's going to have an opportunity to hear or see truth and be able to respond to it. And it seems like what's being said here, the gospel going out, there's a marked increase in the spreading of the gospel and evangelism. Maybe a renewed interest in communicating the gospel. You know, you hear people calling out for revival and you see people wanting this to happen and wanting that to happen and I believe it's because God's people were kind of done with things just being like they've always been. We want things to be different in this, in this country and in this world because this is our Father's world. And He is the one who made it, is the one who made a way for us. And we just kind of, He said, He's also said that He has got works 
figured out in advance for us to do. And I believe part of that is sharing the gospel. And this is not a, a treasure that we hide under a bushel like the children's song says. We've got to get out. We've got to spread the gospel. Share the good news. We've got to live it out in front of people. It's so easy just to slide in and be like everybody else. But we know we've mentioned many times this summer that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. So when we gather together like this, and we're talking about Jesus coming back and how important it is for us to share the gospel, our minds are being renewed. Right As a child of God, you know, because he's put, his, put this within you, that you have a desire to, to tell people about Jesus. Do you not, do you not when you hear somebody us? <laughs> Do you tell you about Jesus? When you see somebody doing something that you know is going to hurt them, or when you see people in relationships that are not good, or when you see this, or when you see that, is there not something within you that wants to say, listen, there's a better way? And I'll tell you, I found out there was a better way because of Jesus. You want them to know. I hope that we don't get to the point where we say, well, just let him go. Not going to pray for him. Not going to say nothing. He decided to do that. Let him go. Let him go. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say that about you and me. Because he could have. You know, look, look at my life. Look at your life. Committed. Look at the sin that we continue to commit. He could just say, I'm done with you. And that he never will because he promised that he wouldn't. Let that sink in. He promised he wouldn't, so he's not going to. But he would have every right, as I've said before, to kick me to the curb and leave me there. But there, he's, he's saying here that there will be a renewed interest, I think, in sharing the gospel. And let me tell you that there is unprecedented church growth in China, believe it or not, Latin America, Asia, Africa, why is America not on this list? We've got more churches and a, and a 10 square miles. I mean, think about it. We've got so many roads named after churches, don't we? Don't we? We use churches as landmarks. Well, you go down to that church and you turn right, you know. But how often do we say, come to church? Why don't you come to church? You know, it's so easy to invite somebody. It's so easy to say, do you go to church somewhere? Hey, come and visit our church. Come, come, and, come and, and worship with us. Somebody just moved into the area. You got, you got church yet? Let me be the invite you to our church. You know, it's, it seems so easy sitting in here Sunday morning to think about it. But in in real time, when you're out there and you're, you're talking to somebody, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Because you got this little voice in your head saying, don't invite him to church. You're going to think you're a handling whatever. But you know that's not true. Well, gosh, the song that Melissa sang, not I, but Christ through me. Christ through you wants to invite that person to church. And and that means you do too. 
And I invite people, but they don't come. Or don't stop inviting. It's like if you, I don't know, if it's like you're a salesman and you're, you're asking people to, to buy your product and nobody wants to buy it. Do you just stop asking? No, you keep asking until somebody buys it, right? Can I get an amen from our salesman audience? <laughs> you don't just give up, you keep trying. And because, because what we have is eternal. And what he has promised is greater than any problem or any setback that we're going to experience in this life. So he's given some signs here. He's giving signs and he's trying to encourage them as he's saying these things. Um, in verses 15 through 28 of, of chapter 24, he begins to reveal some specific events that will take place just prior to his return. And then verses 29 through 31, he speaks of his return to the earth in uh, great power and glory. And then we get to the last part of chapter 24. I'm going to need to wind this down. Uh, and he, he begins to make some specific comments about the timing of things. And that's where we kind of started this, this thought train here. When is he coming? When is he coming? Because I wonder how many generations before ours have said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to come in our generation. I know that he is. I wonder how many of the disciples, as they went, to the, uh, they went all over the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, I wonder how many of them remembered what Jesus said, what the angels said. The way he came. And so I wonder how many of them thought before they died that Jesus would come back. Well, this is what we can say. The timing is unknown. No one is going to know. If anybody tells you that they know, they don't know. They're, they're lying. They don't know. They really don't. Uh, we've all seen people in the news... I've had some personal experience with folks that thought that, that uh, Jesus was coming. So they pulled up and shut down their shop and everything. I've, I've seen things like that happen. But he says in verse number 36, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. And there right there is a, there's a sentence that just, a verse that blows my mind. The father knows, but the son doesn't know. Does the son know? Does the father? Who knows? The father knows. No one knows but the father. So anybody who says they know, they don't know. And so what that tells me is that we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Verses 37 through 41 talks about the days of Noah. You remember Noah, good old Noah. Everybody knows the story of Noah and the ark. The crazy man that built that big old boat. We used to walk by and laugh at him and, and you know, talk about him. You know, he's weird. He's, built, he's spending all his time building that boat. What for? There's no reason for that. Scoffers, making fun, joking. Listen, this is what it says in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. 
so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. So we see this idea of the contemporaries of Noah making fun because he said that there was coming a day. And that may happen with us as well. People may make fun of us. There is coming a day that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us back. He's going to take us out of this place. And they may look at you, giving you a little bit of side eye, thinking, well, you know, I need to get out of here. This person's crazy. But if we are crazy, and I think we probably are, but we're crazy for Jesus and we're crazy for what he said and we're crazy for what he promised and we're excited about what's going to happen. So we need to make sure that we're ready. We got to make sure that we're ready. So when I asked you earlier, how do you feel about it when I say that Jesus could... What if Jesus was going to come at 8 o'clock tonight? What would you do? What would you do? What would you do today? If we knew that Jesus was going to come at 8 o'clock, I think we'd do one of two things, maybe. I don't know. Could probably add to this list. I think, number one, we'd probably all just decide to stay here. And if we got hungry, I think there's a couple of bags of chips in the, in the kitchen and maybe some uh, Capri Suns left over from see you at the pole. So we wouldn't go completely hungry, but we could look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, so we'd be all right, and we're going to be okay. Think about it. We'd either do that or we'd probably run out these doors and start yelling to everybody and anybody that would listen to us, Jesus is coming at 8 o'clock tonight. You need to be ready. You need to get ready. This is what verses 42 through 44 said. Why? Ye know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So we see a couple of commands here. Keep watch and be ready. Keep watch and be ready. How many of you have spent time looking at the sky? And we've had some beautiful skies of late. I was in and out, so I hope you can hear me. But I, we were sit, I was sitting in the parking lot of a, of a uh, department store. Sandy was shopping, and I was sitting in the car. And this store, and he starts filming or shooting something that's behind me, and I thought, what in the world is he doing? And I, I thought to myself, people are crazy just stopping in the middle of the parking lot and taking pictures of stuff. I thought, but I better look and see what it is in case, you know, a plane's getting ready to crash or something. So I turn around, I look, and the sky is beautiful. And so I got out of the car, and I turned around, and I put my phone up. I thought, you know, Lord, that would be a beautiful sky for you to come through to, to get us out of here. That would just be a beautiful sky to see. He said, keep watch and be ready. And so the invitation this morning for those that aren't ready, you know if you're not ready. You know if you're not a, a child of God. You know it. You may be pretending. You may be play acting. 
You may be telling people you are, but you know you're not because you've never given your life to Christ. And you have what they say, a head knowledge of things, but you've never cried out to God for salvation. You've never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so the invitation is to come and it's all through Scripture. It's all through Scripture. Listen to this. I want to finish with these verses. And you're not going to have these back there, but listen to these. Isaiah 118, come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 55, 1. Come, all, ye, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Matthew 11, come to me and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Luke 14, 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come of this, for everything is now ready. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And since we just read from Revelation, if you'll bear with me, I want you to just bow your heads, if you will, while I finish up with these verses. He is coming soon, people. That's His promise. He's kept every other promise. He's going to keep this one. He is coming soon. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Verse 20, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. As you stand this morning, as you stand in your row and as you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed.